All right. Well, in that case, let's let's just. Um... I'm so nervous all of a sudden. I know. I know sorry. <laughs> Oh, no, this, is part of the, this is part of the fun. And my microphone just fell off. It's oh, no. <laughs> it's a sign. Call the whole thing off. I, I, was, I, I was about to do the thing, too. <laughs> no, think about it. Think about your intro a little bit. I'll get yeah, this yeah. back up and got to give it the Jack Black. <laughs> Come on, you freaking piece of shit. Oh, my God. Oh, yep. It's the lug nut. Topical. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Quiet on the set. <laughs> so dumb. I'm so nervous. All right. Let's go in three two, one. Autobots, transform and roll out! Welcome, folks, and welcome to this brand new Transformers podcast, Two Mics, Two Furious. My name is Mike Seibert, and I am joined by also a Mike. Uh, uh, why, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? The, the other titular Mike, if you will. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the other Mike, Michael Andrews, uh, spelled a little bit different than our Mike, but uh, yeah, we're going to be getting into this, getting into something I really love, which is uh, Transformers Animated. Yeah, so we we are two mics, two furious animated transformers, I guess, and uh, <laughs> and and so th- this is a podcast where we are going to discuss Transformers animated, uh, starting with the pilot transform and roll out exclamation point, um, and I'm sure you've heard a million episode recaps uh, a bunch of transformers recap shows um some of which we're fans of as well and we'll we'll shout out during the the show here like we're super super homies with uh autopod decepticast as, as well as some others in fact th- this this show is kind of in a Joni loves chachi kind of way it's almost kind of like a spin-off of apdc even though none of those folks have anything to do with this uh this project but we'll we'll kind of of unpack some of that in due course but the the gimmick with this particular transformers animated recap discussion show is that even though i am a lifelong transformers fan i i call myself a uh been g1 from day one you know <laughs> uh you know september of 1984 i've 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 been there uh the entire time uh transformers the movie is not just my favorite transformers thing but it is also my favorite movie just like you know of of the movies. So that's, that's kind of my entree into transformers fandom, but for as much transformers content as I have consumed and celebrated transformers animated is a huge blind spot for me. I passed on it when it first came around and as it got further and further away, I never really took the opportunity to get into it, but over the last three, four years, as I've gotten more involved with the larger Transformers fandom, the one thing I have been told more than anything is you haven't seen TFA gasp gasps <laughs> in Spanish. And I, uh, um, and I've been told by many people I trust many people I've, I've gotten to know in this fandom. It's like, 
You need to go check it out. There is plenty there that you specifically, meaning me, uh, Mike Seibert, that that you will love. So um, absolutely I, agree with that. Yeah. And for that, I, I could have just sat down and watched it. Right. You know, it's like, you know, it's it's available on Tubi TV. It's, you know, the uh, uh, DVDs aren't um, impossible to get. Um but tougher to get uh, from, from what I understand. But anyway, I, I could have sat down and just watched it, but I thought, what's the fun in that? Um, being a podcaster, I, I host uh, my own show, uh, Mike Seibert Radio, the Mike Seibert Radio podcast. And when you do a podcast, you get into the, this mentality that everything is content. So it's like, if I, if I buy toys, well, that, that gives me content to unbox and show off on the internet. It's just, it's just a weird thing about how a, a podcaster's mentality works. Everything is content. Um, but with that mentality, I thought it would be better to, you know, do it as a podcast. And that's, um, some of part of a truncated version of the story of how I got uh, uh, connected with uh, Michael Andrews and how we're doing this, this show here for you now, but um, enough from me. I I've, I've talked for several, several minutes and, and you'll see patterns like this. You're, you're as, as you go through the show, you're like, this Mike Seibert guy talks a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts where, you know, there, there's like two hosts and you can't tell them apart. I promise you, you will be able to tell us apart because I am the one that cannot shut up. hundred percent. Uh, <laughs> so that being said, so that's just like a little bit of, uh, of kind of how we got here now, but uh, Michael Andrews, take, take the floor and maybe talk about your uh, um, side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think, I think one thing that's great, just getting back to you being the talker, um, yeah, you are excellent at that. And as a person that has to work on that myself and being a little more outspoken, I need you're my rock, man. You just, you talk forever. Talk however you want. Um, but for me, Transformers Animated, uh, I just love it. It's it was such a bright spot when it came back around. I was I'm I don't know if you've listened to any other Transformers podcast I've been on, you know how much I love the movies, the live action movies. So for me, this was sort of tying into that. But but giving like a cartoon version, like they took so much lore from the live action films and like, you know, digested it and made a cartoon out of it. So that's why I really love it. Um, and I was kind of surprised, Mike, that you hadn't seen it because of all the like Transformers content out there. This is most uh, I'd say this has the most Easter eggs and most borrows the original material of the original series and not just the original series, but the movie you so love the 84 movie or excuse me, the 86 movie. Um I think you you'll find so many things in this that are they're directly gleaned from that film uh, to to love. So I'm really excited to see it kind of through your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that that is kind of the response I get from folks. It's like, really, you you haven't watched it <laughs> for for those reasons that that you're just saying. And even in my in my brief viewing, because like so far, all all I've watched for uh, this podcast is is the pilot transform and roll out. And even then, there's already stuff there. It's like, oh yeah, I, now I understand what what people were telling me. But um, I I do want to talk about a little bit about 
why I decided to pass on it, because I think both at the time and maybe even now retroactively, TFA is a little polarizing in that like it's I, I would I would say that in current times it's been kind of reclaimed and, th- and that's part of what this project is um yeah it, not necessarily a reclamation project but kind of like uh, blowing the dust off of it and saying like oh th- this 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 series is worth your attention and and we're gonna kind of explain to you why and and reinvigorate this uh this this uh um uh affection for the show but i passed on it based entirely on the design aesthetic it it yeah. came it came at a time and i was at an age where that looked like it was something that was just in capital letters not for me cuz you know what one of the things that that we're going to discuss is you know th- this is a bit of a historical document and it, and it and it fits in in kind of a a interesting transitional point for transformers media like this is kind of coming on the heels of the movie so so you have the 2007 movie which reinvigorates the franchise in a big bad way and then in a weird way this is kind of the follow-up and that's I, i think that might go down in history as an odd choice i think something more like transformers prime is probably more of a a uh, spiritual successor to the the live action movies at least aesthetically so i i had you know uh transformers fandom reinvigorated for me and then then i i see the previews and i i see uh one the cartoonishly exaggerated stylized designs that was a little too much for me i I like stylized animation, you know, I mean, Batman, the animated series, uh, that the, the whole Bruce Tim aesthetic. It's like I, I, I like some stylization, but I think for my taste, when a design aesthetic goes so far the other direction into cartooniness, cartoony, cartoonishness, <laughs> it, it becomes cartoonism. Uh, cartoonism. I love it. Um it, it it was it just wasn't my taste. It, it felt to me that it was something for kids, and there being for kids is in the DNA of Transformers, whether we like it or not. Even as we get older ourselves, it's like that. This is supposed to be content and material for kids. I mean, we can enjoy it as adults, but yeah, it's it's also supposed to be for kids, but. Long, long story short is it, it just wasn't it just wasn't for me. So and and I think by the time my friends were getting in my ear, it was almost kind of too far gone. Um, yeah. And now it's it has a weird place in history and almost I, I don't want to say a forgotten piece of history because like there, there's a lot of people that stand for TFA as much as the day is long. Heck but, yeah. But it's not top of mind. Um, so it, it is something that I think like perhaps the larger fandom has kind of moved on from. And I'm hoping that 
with this podcast, this, this will kind of blow off your fandom. Like whether, whether you you've seen TFA before and wanted an excuse to come back for it, or if you're like me and experiencing this for the first time, I think our dynamic is going to give you a little bit of something for everybody because Michael Andrews, you're, you're, you're like a super stand for, uh, for TFA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if we're getting into our hopes and dreams a little bit, um, that's why I'm excited to do this with you because uh, you, you know, you are seeing it for the first time. This is I. This is a show I've watched beginning to end several times, uh, and and now I'm seeing it again, kind of through your your eyes for the first time. So that's yeah. going to let me see new things, but also get excited about stuff again. Um, it's not just like listening to the same song over and over for once. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited for it to reinvigorate my love of Transformers in general. Um, I feel like I've gotten a little bit away with that. Just, just some life stuff getting in the way. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to get back into that. And, and you specifically, Mike, I think have gone through like what I call the fanboy cycle. I even wrote that down in my notes, the fanboy cycle of, you know, you started with a, a hardcore love of transformers from very young. You, like you said, you were there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You went through your phase of like G1 only the original transformers movie is the only transformers, not my transformers, hashtag, you know, that sort of uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. And uh, now you're kind of back. Now you're kind of, you've gone full circle because now you sort of like different iterations. You're at that point where you can like look at things that are different and, and not hate them because they're different than G1 like them because they're different than G1. Yeah. So I, I'm excited to be going on this journey with someone like that. That's gone through like the, the full spectrum of, of transformers fandom. I love that. The fanboy cycle. The fanboy cycle. We're on the other side of it. We need to make a button out of that or something. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's a ton of fun because yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it's like, I, I had kind of like that, that staunch G one or perspective, but then I got to know more folks in the fandom and I've, I've grown an appreciation as, as you've already eloquently said for stuff that's different and appreciating those differences because of the differences, as opposed to resenting them for, uh, for the differences. It's like, Oh, well that that's not sideswipe. That's just a Corvette on roller skates. It's like, you know, <laughs> it, that's, and, and now I I'm on the other side where I was like, you know what? that is a pretty damn cool character and, and a, you know, pretty cool vibe and aesthetic and, and all of that other stuff. So, so I've, I've come all the way back around in the, in the, uh, uh fanboy cycle as a, uh, as you say. <laughs> so basically m- mechanically, let, let's, let's talk about how, how we're kind of watching the show. So I don't have, uh, I don't have TFA on physical media. So I am watching it on Tubi TV uh Tubi is a free streaming service that you can um uh, download as an app or watch it on your computer or smartphone um I have it on my TV um so I I can watch it I I can watch this TV cartoon on TV um and, and it was kind of funny we we fired it up and my wife was like well, how how long have we had this? I was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it was on the TV when we bought it. Yeah. Um, but TV yeah, rocks. 
Yeah, Two B Rocks. I mean, there's all kinds of cool stuff on there. Um, two Mike's Too Furious, brought to you by Two B TV. <laughs> exactly. Well, and because like I, I just want to make sure that 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 folks have uh, access to to be able to watch the shows. But uh, so when I watched Transform and Rollout! Exclamation point! It's presented as three episodes, three uh, separate episodes that are presented as episodes one through three. So when we were uh, talking about watching this show and breaking it down episode by episode, I thought the first episode was transform and roll out part one. I didn't, I didn't realize that it was a, a, um, a larger pilot. Um, but uh, could you talk about, you know, kind of like how, how you're watching it and how, how you viewed this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Or that's really good. I guess that's a really good point because uh, for me, you know, that's never been like the first three episodes because the, it sort of aired like a movie. It aired, uh, if I remember correctly, it aired primetime or pretty primetime as far as Cartoon Network goes. Um, and I had, I remember having my friends over for an event, like they weren't necessarily interested in Transformers, but I was like, you got to come over for this. There's a new show. It's kicking off with a movie. Like this is big. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I sort of saw it first as a movie. And then later when the seasons came out, even the season one DVD collection doesn't have those first three episodes in it. You had to buy that separately. And it came like a movie on a disc um, called Transformers and Rollout. There wasn't this part one, part two, part three breakdown. It was just a movie on a separate disc. And then you started with episode one on the on the season one collection. So I've always kind of in my mind, it's always been kind of broken up from the rest of the series. Like this is like a kickoff movie and then there's the series proper. So yeah, like you said, we had to kind of work through the logistics of, of is this an episode or, or is this a movie? Yeah. I, I was really confused. Cause like I kept talking about like episode one and, <laughs> uh, and, and the, epi- and the episode you were talking about, I was like, well, no, that that's episode four on, uh, on, on my thing. So <laughs> we may still yet, run into some of those uh uh some of those challenges but we'll uh uh we we will get through it <laughs> yeah I'm sure well and i think to to add another point to that is that we've sort of taken on the fact that like collectively whether or not we talk about it as three episodes or a mini movie um this is sort of like a broad overview because i think you know after this sort of like three-part movie whatever you want to call it then we start to get into the episodes proper where like there's uh character-based episodes everyone gets their moment to shine and then we can kind of start talking about the logistics of it so i think for now for for our purposes we're going to keep this a little high level keep it Mm -hmm. a little uh fun kind of hopes and dreams for our show for for the show that we're watching and uh just what's to what's to come absolutely and and with that let's uh let, let's uh, dive right in, as uh, as as they Bing. say. <laughs> and um, you know, the 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 first thing that that strikes me about having watched Transform and, and Roll Out Exclamation Point that's why I'm going to keep calling it. By the oh, way, please, because, yeah, because that's I I have a, a tether to that phrasing for for a number of different reasons. So I like the exclamation point, but this um this episode feels very very much like a pilot. It's doing a lot of heavy lifting, 
a lot oh, of world yeah. building and and it's a lot of info dumping in in a very short time um you had uh you had mentioned uh, before we started recording that you know more or less like this first 10 minutes here is is very foundational and and yes. lays a lot of track and a lot of world building yeah absolutely there's there's a there's a ton in the first 10 minutes alone um but it's not you know, as you're watching it, you're not like, oh, they're info dumping. Like, it does really feel really natural. And then this, like, fast action starts picking up. And there's not a moment to take a breath. It's it's action. It's it's steamrolling right through. And I think that really plays credit to uh, Marty Eisenberg, who's the head, head writer for the show. Um, and if you look at other shows he's done, uh, notably uh, Ben 10, one of my other favorites, um, there is just sort of... A, this like advanced level of writing and world building. And he, he takes time to really like think out a lot of the plot, if not the entire plot of the series, at least far enough in advance that, you know, he's dropping foreshadowing and Easter eggs in the first episode where a lot of, a lot of shows, especially cartoons don't take the time to do that. They just kind of, you know, we're going to be a monster of the week show and, you know, fun stuff's going to happen. This there seems to be more thought and and the more now I've watched this beginning movie several times and like the more I see it, the more I'm like seeing things I didn't notice, like, oh, my gosh, she's just giving away the ending here. Or like and I don't want to spoil those things for you, Mike, who hasn't right. seen the entire series. But there is you'll just have to trust me. There's an incredible amount of foreshadowing just in these 10 minutes alone. See, and that's fascinating because w- one of the things that that struck me about watching this is that there's so much payoff even within itself like like there 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 are several like character beats and gags that um that get paid off almost immediately to where it's like oh i mean it it, it feels very economical it doesn't feel like anything is is wasted so i'm really excited you've really wet my appetite now for like yeah. what to come because like for as much as it pays off within itself in the in this first pilot that there's stuff lines being cast down the line i i i yeah. can't uh, i can't wait but i i think you know we uh one of the one of the ongoing themes that i think we'll talk about during this podcast is who is this for and i think when you start the show like the first it literally the first image you see out of that kinetic intro which is very much of its time the first image you see is the classic autobot symbol and already it's just like wait a sec what and then it's uh you know and friends had told me about this and and i always i always smiled and nodded politely and laughed i'm like oh oh, yeah yeah that's right they 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 took a a g1 and made it a propaganda video that's so funny (laughs) without without knowing the context but but seeing it, um, especially in this uh, presentation with like the 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 um, uh, fake video grain and where yeah. it's 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 footage from the classic episode War Dawn, where you see uh, uh, Megatron and the the kind of the rise of the Decepticons and Guardian robots and recontextualizing that as kind of a, uh, a propaganda piece a propaganda video i i I thought was uh a a a very interesting way to start the series yeah well i think it's a really smart way to start the series uh well i I do want to get some more of your thoughts on that but i think it's a very interesting way to start it smart way to start it because uh 
you know, you are kind of speaking to the original G1 fan. You can get them on board right away. You can give them something they weren't expecting to see. Um, and then you can kind of do whatever you want. Now you now you hook them in for a little bit. But I guess along with that, yeah, let's talk about it. The very, the very first thing you see in the show is this uh, original footage from the original series. And that's sort of like their historical war footage. What they're saying with this is like, here's actual like footage of of the battle that is behind us now and way in the past how do you feel about that mike uh you know is that sort of like too on the nose or is that too much continuity from the original series for you or do you like that it's sort of uh you know connecting to the original series in that way actually making it canon for within the show i you know i i kind of i kind of went through the uh uh fanboy cycle um in that like first i i thought it was cool that oh hey g1 but then i thought it was kind of odd because we learn almost immediately just by the fact that it's optimus prime watching this video um that it's it's not a continuation of g1 tfa cannot be a continuation of g1 just because yeah. of of the characters and situations and their contextualization of the old war is completely different so so like right. by that it, it can't be a continuation so my so my brain was kind of noodling through that trying to figure out like well if it's not a continuation then then what is this then and really what it is is where where the cycle comes around it's like oh they're Using old footage, one to kind of tickle some, um, uh, tickle the nostalgia a little bit, but then use it and recontextualize it as as something new and different. And I think it sends the message immediately, especially since it's Optimus that's watching it, and especially since Ratchet is there uh, with him, and there is clearly a age gap and divide like where you know even even optimus says like well, you were there all the great autobot leaders learned from the past look around prime the great wars ended centuries ago but you were there ratchet you saw some action what were the decepticons really like trust me kid you're better off not knowing you know and and even the the um mention that it was millions of years ago so it's like not only is the war over but the war has been over for millions of years before we even meet these characters so it's like it, it's it, it gets my brain turning almost immediately that these are autobots that have had millions of years of peacetime and that's yeah Th that that really kind of gets it cooking, but then also lays the groundwork that that Optimus Prime is a bit of a history buff, which which yeah. is a nice little bit of character. I think I think that's a um I I think that's interesting footing to start him off with because like this this just this this opening dialogue between him and Ratchet, Ratchet was there. Ratchet has seen some shit. Um, yeah. as, as, as we learn, the more we get to know him, it's like his, his grouchiness is directly informed by his PTSD and, and, um, you know, j just kind of like his, his, the imprint, the war left on him.
Yeah, absolutely. Well, along with that, okay, let me just run through like what you learn in the first 10 minutes. Then we can kind of maybe go back and dig into some deeper stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you you learn that uh, the 84 series, I mean, we've kind of broken it down now, but the 84 series is kind of basically history. This is a long time removed from, from what we saw. Um, we're introduced to a ragtag group of sp- Space bridge grunts. This is sort of uh, like a construction team that's going out and like repairing old space bridges. They have they have nothing to do with the war necessarily. They're just kind of out there, uh, uh, you know, doing grunt work, doing the doing the blue collar stuff. Um, they stumble across the Allspark, uh, which is a legendary artifact that at this point some Cybertronians don't even believe in. Um, and it was sent through the space bridge to end the war. And this is like a classic uh, shoot the hostage situation, right? Like someone at some point said, we got to get rid of the AllSpark just to stop the war. Um, and maybe it wasn't the best idea, but they're like, hey, let's shoot out into space. And then once it's gone, either Megatron will go play fetch or he'll at least not have something to uh, keep keep after. Mm-hmm. Um, and real quick here, I I love this of course, because the AllSpark was actually a concept that was introduced in the first live action movie. Um, So that's a great tie in for me. And I just love that they like took that little bit of lore and like kind of like canonized it into something else. So made a little more real. I I like that for a stretch, the AllSpark became the, the the MacGuffin of choice for Transformers lore, even yeah. as recently as the as the War for Cybertron series on Netflix. Yeah. And well, I bring it up because I don't think a lot of people realize that that's something that came from the live action movies. This, you know, it's so easy to shit on the Michael Bay movies that uh, we kind of forget that, that there's some like established lore that we that we got from those. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's in there. I think it also something to establish that's important is that Optimus has history with Sentinel prime and ultra Magnus. And uh, if you remember our little uh, soft, soft open episode for that, we did about uh, that, the Halloween episode, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned that this, this is one of my favorite things about it is that there's sort of like this, this backstory between Sentinel and Optimus that we get right away. Like that there's something there, he has some background from this. And we also see Ultra Magnus, who's in a very high position of power. And that was exciting to see one of my favorite characters of all time, like within this first 10 minutes. So, yeah, if you're keeping track at home, we already have a lot of stuff uh, just in the first 10 minutes. And we're also getting that the Decepticons. Um, this is really interesting. The Decepticons at this point are sort of sort of boogeymen, right? They're long gone. A uh, few people um, believe they still exist. Some some Cybertronians don't believe that they ever existed we're talking about so far out from a war that uh people don't even think that that faction exists and Mm -hmm. it's a little now that i'm thinking about it it's a little bit of uh it's getting a little too real because it kind of reminds me of like holocaust deniers right Mm. like you become so far removed from a thing that you sort of like either you're pretending on some level that it doesn't exist or or you really just don't think it does um because you've you know, you're just reading out of it out of, you know, through books. Yeah. Well, and, and I think having Ratchet as part of that crew helps ground that and 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 puts a, a tether to it. Cause like anytime they're talking about the Decepticons and Megatron in in kind of like those those hushed tones, you've you've got Ratchet with that perspective of having been there that 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 i i think 
puts it more in a um more in a, a grounded realistic footing it, not, well, that's not- true but then you also have uh you know optimus is pretty much the only one on that crew that sort of believes him or sort of you know as the history buff he's sort of treating it like you know what you're saying is factual truth um whereas you know bumblebee bulkhead and prowl sort of see ratchet as you know kind of like cups war stories uh from from the movie like like did it happen this way or is this really because i think i think even at some point bumblebee makes mention of like megatron like Megatron? As in the cruel and vicious Decepticon leader who eats Autobot protoforms for breakfast? You know, like it's such it's such a Darth Vader-y, you know, mythical character at this mm-hmm. point that you know, can we believe in it? Yeah. No, I, I think that's um yeah, you're absolutely right. I and I, I was gonna I was gonna double down on your analogy earlier with uh with, with having Ratchet there. It it would be the equivalent of having a a survivor of the Holocaust there with you, you know, and yeah. you're talking about like Holocaust deniers and it'd be like, yeah, dude, I was there. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so. how frustrating it must be for him that like, no one's taking him yeah. seriously that Megatron did in fact exist, that this war happened. Then you have these like punk kids that are just out there doing, you know, their summer construction job to make a few bucks. And uh, they don't, they don't care. I like that. We meet this Autobot crew the way that they are, you know, they're, they're very naive. They're a bunch of dumb kids, um, especially bulkhead and bumblebee. They're, they're, you know, they're knuckleheads. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Right. Well, and to uh, round out this, uh, this, uh, first 10 minutes here. Oh, sure. Yeah. The yeah. last thing we learn is, uh, that the Decepticons do in fact exist. Uh, we actually see them. We see a crew of them on a ship, um, sort of doing their Decepticon infighting that we've come to know and love about the Decepticons. Um, and I think that scene is great because, and I totally forgot it existed until I rewatched this, that they show you all the Decepticons right then and there. And it's shadowy and it's dark and you kind of, you're only kind of going by silhouettes kind of who's that Decepticon uh-huh. Pokemon style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, it shows them, you know, it shows right away. Like if you're, if you're questioning if the Decepticons still exist, question no more here they are. Um, and that's kind of the last bit of like uh world building you just get in this wham, bam first 10 minutes. Um, and if we can go back a little bit too, please. Uh, Oh, another I, I, thing... I, I want to go back too. I, I got, yeah. yeah. I want well, to get too. break down the characters a little bit too, but yeah, yeah. I think it's really cool that, um, you know, we talked about like, denying you know if you believe that the war happened if you believe that the septicons are still here whether or not um nobody uh well this is something true for the show that nobody knows megatron still exists like both autobots and decepticons are sort of like uh well you see it now you see the autobots don't know that megatron still exists and then later in the show you see the decepticons not believing that megatron still exists so we in one show we get to see like both factions kind of like truly existing without the shadow of megatron and i think that's something that's kind of really cool and unique to this this series that yeah that and that i i get the feeling that's going to change a great deal of dynamics because like you know jumping all the way to the end of this episode where megatron is essentially a a captive 
and with without any kind of autonomy that that I've seen, um, I, I get the feeling he's going to find a way to break out of that ice as 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 he always mm, does. But, possibly, <laughs> but it's it for my takeaway at, at the end of Transform and Rollout is that basically Megatron is off the board and has like been off the board, and that's that's that. It, it's interesting. Uh, storytelling devices that are um, similar to the 2007 movie and TFA. It's like they, they share a couple things in that one, the all spark is, is the MacGuffin. And then two, you know, Megatron is not just um, off the board in terms of like a, a player in the dynamics, but is also integral to the development of human technology. It's like both yeah. of those, now, now they, they handle it very differently in that, like, you know, in, in the 2007 movie, it's, it's more like, you know, America has, has, has taken this uh, giant robot and have, have retrofitted, um, you know, this technology for like, you know, all, all of society, whereas, uh, some deck industries is, is one dude. I mean, I mean this, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, it's, it's a real Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk situation. Yeah. Well, where, and also the, the difference too, is that it's sort of become the technology's made it sort of a utopia. It's made, it's made uh Detroit into like a utopia society almost. And it's interesting. Cause I don't know, I was going to ask you this, Mike, when we get a little later into it, but maybe yeah, I'll ask you now. Sure. Um, do you do you get the takeaway that that the world is benefiting from Sumdac's inventions, or do you, or do you think it's like just this city on the map that is is uh, sort of progressing faster than the rest of the world because of these inventions? I I took the is narrative- Detroit a prototype city? I guess right. Yeah, that, that that's my take, and I I took the narration literally. Where like in the um, I, I guess the second act, you know, kind of opens up with you see like you you see 50 years later, the the cityscape and the highways and burger bot and, you know, kind of like the, this this stylized um, new Detroit. And it says something to the effect of, you know, Detroit has become a utopia. Back in the early 20th century, Detroit was known as the Motor City, the automobile manufacturing capital of the world. Today, Detroit is once again the world's leading manufacturer, not of automobiles, but automatons, robots, or as we here at Sumtac Systems like to call them, our tireless mechanical partners. Ever reliable, never complaining. So I took that on its face literally to mean just Detroit. Um, sure. And still just Detroit, that it's yep. just kind of the, the bright spot in a otherwise like dark world. A, a bubble. So it's like sure. I don't I don't think the Sumdac robots exist outside of this area. Um right. I mean we'll see how that goes. I'll be yeah. And it's and this is going to be kind of one of the interesting dynamics as well is because like there there are a couple things since since this this you know show is over fifteen years old now there are certain things that are just part of like the lexicon like you know it's like you know that 
that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. You you know that Bucky Barnes is the Winter Soldier. You know, there, yeah. there so there are some empirical things about Transformers animated that I know, but I don't know the context. So really what this is going to be about is not so much me learning like the hard spoilers, but for me learning the context for um uh for those things. So sure. Like, so we're going to run into stuff like this where you know something, Michael Andrews, and the audience might know something, you that have watched TFA before. Um, or you could be like me and some of my friends who are going through some of this the first time. Um, I, I just like the idea of putting some of these things out in the world uh, yeah. for folks to interact with one way or the other. It's like, Mike sounds like a real dumb dumb, or like, <laughs> oh, there's stuff he doesn't know. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's going to be one of my biggest challenges is how do I talk about foreshadowing without telling you it's foreshadowing? I, that's something I'm still kind of working on. I even have like little notes in here that are like secret foreshadowing to remind myself is like, go ahead and don't talk about it yet. Uh, see, if, <laughs> see if Mike brings it up. Um, yeah. So maybe at the very end of this whole show, I can go back and all these things I've labeled secret foreshadowing. I can, I can finally uh, point out to you. Um, but just oh, you to dial it, just to dial it back a little bit, uh, I guess rewind, maybe transform and rewind here. Uh, exclamation point. Yeah. We should talk about, um, we wanted to keep this kind of high level, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about at least the cast of Autobots that we see, if yeah. not getting into, you know, voices and stuff like that today. I think we should talk about uh, who, who we do see and then kind of and then kind of a little like historical breakdown. Uh, uh, what kind of what we're seeing from a high level of of this three part series and, and what it means for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, OK, so. I do want to maybe run through that first. So yeah. what we see in those at the end of those first 10 minutes is that uh, kind of to recoup where we were at just a minute ago. Megatron uh, is destroyed. He's lost to space. And this is in no small part to scheming Starscream, which is seems to be a trope <laughs> that we follow all through Transformers. Right. You know, you know exactly that uh, they're sort of like frenemies and that Starscream is going to betray Megatron at some point. And we see it right away. He causes he attaches uh, an explosive di- device to Megatron. Megatron blows up. That's how, uh, you know, Megatron's head ends up on Earth where it's found in a cornfield. It's discovered by Isaac Sumdak as a little kid. And then Optimus steers the ship, uh, a crashing, his crashing arc. He steers that away from civilization into Lake Erie, which triggers an emergency stasis mode for the crew. Um, and that's where they, they go into slumber for 50 years. And Mike, I was hoping you could remind me, how long are the Autobots in slumber in the original series? Was that four like mi- four, four million, million years? Yeah, yeah. So here's a much shorter time. They're just underwater for 50 years compared to the, the 50 million years they spent in that vault. Or sorry the 4 million years they spent in the volcano. Yeah. So, okay. So um, I, I know you got more notes, but can we stop there for a second? Yeah. Because that, that there, there's, there, there's a couple things to unpack. Um, one time travel seems, seems to proceed in a weird way in transformers lore. So back in 1984, you have the, the time jump, 
of four million years with the implication that the war has continued with the uh, both leaders and command structure of both the Autobots and the Decepticons off the board which is fascinating storytelling in its own type of thing. But it's it's really just um, a storytelling device to get the Transformers to present day. You know, present day being 1984. Yeah. Um, so because it sounds very cool in sci-fi for it to be, you know, many millions of years ago and 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 that kind of thing. But over time... It's become like we've seen this a lot in comic books and stuff where it's just like, oh, no, the the war has just been happening for millions and millions of years. And there there is an aspect of that trope that I don't know if I understand. I don't know why it needs to be uh, tens of millions of years, because really the the jump of millions of years, again, is just to get the Transformers to present day. So I don't, I don't know. It just at, at, at a time where you don't have to do that. Um, Cause yeah. like in, like in the uh, IDW comics, every iteration of it, where it's, they just show up on earth in present day, but they've been having this millions year war. And I, I don't know. It just, it, yeah. it just makes my brain itch specific, <laughs> specifically here with TFA there there's a few things that I don't understand one um we we learn after the Autobots reawaken in Detroit and start interacting with the humans that they have no idea or understanding about what humans are in fact like when they first see sorry they assume that she's the pet of the robot dog right and, right and, and right, right. Head says like hey man have you have you uh have you lost your uh your your robot master or something so, i don't think that's yeah. fine but but more or less like the implication that these squishy organic life forms would would be pets what is that thing must be some kind of pet. Why would the four-legged bot want to pet that big? Hi, little creature. My name's Bulkhead. Did you lose your owner, bot? Well, and along with that, too, another one of my favorite moments in the whole show is that Bumblebee, <laughs> when he says something oh. to the effect of, like, does nobody talk on this planet? Because he's, like, asking cars and vehicles, like, questions. I thought that was a great little joke and kind of, you know, more world building that they don't know anything outside of, like, you know, robotic organisms. Mm-hmm. Bumblebee gets some really great lines, and we'll 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 definitely talk about those uh, as we we come to them. But the the thing that that struck me as weird is like so so the ship comes out on the other side of the space bridge, and Optimus needs to take manual control to prevent from uh, crashing and destroying the civilization. If they don't know what humans are, how do they know what this society is and that they need to avoid um, destroying it? That mm. 
You got any insight on that? Well, I think they I think they saw buildings and lights and maybe maybe just they detected electricity and to them that was like, oh, there's life down there, right? Like maybe that's why I think I, I just think it was uh you know, unlike when in the other in the old series when when they're crashing into just like trees and jungle and stuff like that this was very clear like oh this is different this is like a a, a structure and this is signs of life no matter what and and i think that classic optimist kicked in and was like hey just in case this can't this can't hit here absolutely and maybe I, I, you know maybe he didn't even know maybe there wasn't uh, uh like that civilization he was just like aim for water because we didn't have time to properly scan this planet for life. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Well, and, and you could see out the window that you could see the cityscape. So you you could see what they're avoiding. So if, if they think that vehicles are life forms, so yeah, maybe they saw a bunch of cars, you know, I mean, so there, there's, there's any number of, or there was just like an electromagnetic, uh, you know, center in this spot that there wasn't somewhere else. And it's like, Oh, that, that could be, our brethren down there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and one of the things that I, I'm sure this won't be the last time that uh, this comes up, the, the, the explanation I want to avoid is shrug. Well, it's a kid's cartoon. Cause yeah. the, the, the writing on this show is way too clever for that. Yes. Um, yeah. They don't, and- they don't do a lot of that. Uh, just kind of throw away stuff. It's, it's important and it's got a story beat um, in a lot of cases. But that being said, I other than to have the Transformers off the board for um, more or less the story has to happen. You need to have a time jump for Isaac Sumdak to tinker with Megatron's head and to grow up to be a renowned scientist and for new Detroit to blossom the way it is for the Autobots to to reemerge there. I don't understand other than that uh, for the need of going into stasis. I I just, I didn't, especially with Mm. it being voluntary. Um, Sure. I I don't. Well, I would argue that, that just the, uh, the setting alone of this, you know, utopian Detroit that has been spawned from the, from learning about the technology of, Cybertronian technology from Megatron's head, which you found in a cornfield. Um, I think, I think, (laughs) right, right. So I think for just from a, from a setting of, you know, we needed time to like build up this city that's sort of based around this technology reasonably. There's also a little nod to, well, I think if you were like show running this show and you wanted to plot out some Easter eggs, it'd be like, well, the Autobots have to go into stasis, right? Or like yeah. someone does. We need a little. We need a little throwback to that, and them waking up so you can get the classic like Teletran moment uh, and the scanning of vehicles. Yeah, yeah. The Sky thing. Spy, you know, explore, explore, yeah, repair, repair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and outside of that, though, the rest I can't. This is a secret foreshadowing moment. Secret foreshadowing moment that I don't want to maybe get into. But but I will say. Um, just like a lot of the things in this show, it's not without reason that that some time has passed. And and there's other there's other sort of um, cool things that come out of that passage of time mm-hmm. that I'm glad they didn't uh, skip that. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, so- and so if I can really quickly, um, 
maybe not really quickly. We don't do anything quickly here. No. But <laughs> we should, if we're talking about the crew going into stasis, maybe this is a good time to maybe just at least talk about the crew that's going into stasis before we get too far ahead of ourselves. I want to talk about these, Mike, because I want to get your kind of take of, of are these archetypal characters for you like do we do you get who they are in that first 10 minutes do you get to uh squint test and sort of see who these archetypes are so first i'll just go through them real quick and then we can Mm -hmm. kind of break down some of their character traits and and what you thought of them sure so of course we have optimus prime we see him and uh ratchet on the bridge chatting uh he's He's kind of their leader, although it's not as maybe necessarily as established of of I am the leader of the Autobots as it has been heavy handed in, in some other properties. Um, we have Ratchet, who's just kind of the old guy left over from the Great War, kind of grumpy, you know, the the sort of like Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, uh, you know, <laughs> which I think is great. Um, and, and to your point earlier, when you said uh, he, he's seen some shit uh this show is going to break down exactly the shit he saw onto and into the third season. So you won't even know the whole, what shit he's seen until the end of the show. Um, and it's quite incredible. Wow. Uh, we have, we have Prowl who I think is really interesting character because he's set up to be just sort of like this brash, young, cocky, doesn't need the crew can do it all by himself. And we typically see this a little bit more from Bumblebee. So when you see Prowl, it's kind of like, well, what's Bumblebee going to be if we already have like the cocky, arrogant, you know, who, who, who I don't need anybody else. Um, I think that's one thing really interesting they did with Prowl. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we get Bulkhead, who oh, I just love Bulkhead. This is, you know, a character that was kind of invented for this show. He's sort of a stand in for Hound. He's just kind of a simple brute. But you're kind of Ironhide too, sort of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For yeah, sure. You know, just like a, a salt of the earth, blue collar dude. Yeah. Yeah. Just a big, just a big, lovable grunt. Uh, and I do love him. He's, uh, you know, for doing favorites, he's probably my favorite uh, of the original Autobot cast here. And then finally, uh, this is a sore spot for me a little bit that we have Bumblebee um, rounds out the crew mm-hmm. he's kind of the youngest uh fieriest of them all he's not necessarily cocky that's kind of prowl's job but he he is sort of that like young buck of you know self-confidence mm-hmm. and he's a sore spot for me because uh he was supposed to be hot shot this was originally supposed to be Hotshot in this cast. Um, in fact, there's even a prototype toy made of Hotshot from this show that was going to be like in the first toys released from it. Um, but at the last second, because of the movie that I love so friggin' much, they decided to make it Bumblebee. So what you guys maybe don't know, but Hotshot is like my all-time favorite character in all of Transformers. There's a whole big backstory. You can listen to a bunch of other podcasts to find out about it. But um when I found this out later on that he, you know, that he was replaced by Bumblebee, it was kind of like, oh, what could have been? There's sort of this, there's always been sort of this like, Bumblebee, why yeah. do we need this shelf warming bastard here when we could have got hot shot? Well, see, and, and it's interesting to, to pick at that a little further too, because hot shot in a sense is a substitute for Bumblebee for the time when right. Hasbro didn't have the rights to the name. Right. So in a, in a weird kind of way, 
hot shot is Bumblebee and Bumblebee is hot shot in, in, <laughs> in, in a lot of kind of ways. And you throw some hot rod in there too, because like, I think, I think both of those characters kind of occupy that same kind of role. So this, this incarnation of Bumblebee is, is interesting to me. And, you know, we, we recently did a, over on my channel on Mike Seibert radio, uh, we, we did a deep dive discussion about Transformers earth spark and having seen where Danny Pudi's performance of that elder veteran Bumblebee almost feels like that Bumblebee is this guy. Like, yeah. like when he's like super young and super brash, but then after he's grown and matured, he becomes the, the earth spark version. I, I know that it's different continuities and that's not exactly, I just mean spiritually. Oh yeah. You know, because yeah. like it, it, it just kind of feels like that. The TFA Bumblebee feels like the young version of, um, of earth spark Bumblebee. So I, I, yeah, I, it's so funny though that you say that. Cause like, when I first saw Armada, I never really made that connection, even though, I mean, other than Hotshot was yellow, I was never like, oh, this is a stand in for Bumblebee. Like for me, it was like this totally different character. And this is like my dumb moment of like, oh, yeah, they obviously, yeah, one informed the other. But yeah, it's a weird kind of chicken and egg situation now yeah. where I was like pissed that Bumblebee <laughs> stood in for Hotshot when Hotshot, you know, probably someone was feeling that about Hotshot standing in for Bumblebee back mm-hmm. in the Armada days. Well, and and again, the the movie really propelled Bumblebee in a way that I I don't know if any of us were ready for. It's like you know, it's like in terms of like the the hierarchy, it's like uh, Optimus Prime, Bumblebee question mark, and then even as we would get into like you know Cyberverse and stuff like that, it'd be like Bumblebee first. I mean, it's like that over over the last. 15 years i guess that there's there's been a really big push for bumblebee to the point where i think some folks in the fandom almost have bumblebee fatigue where it's like bumblebee yeah. again yeah um and and i'm this, one of them and and, the, and this is kind of like sort of the beginning of that i guess because again yeah. you get you get the movie and then you get this so it's well, like yeah this exactly really, i mean to that point, like, can you imagine back in 2007? Like, it's crazy now, right? Bumblebee's at the forefront of everything. Bumblebee has become the mascot of Transformers. But but back in 2007, before this show came on, someone was like, hold up. Should we maybe switch this to Bumblebee? Like, Bumblebee was so kind of off the charts at that point. They were like, yeah. they had to have a conversation about the last second. Should we make this Bumblebee? That's that's really funny to me. <laughs> well, and, and even then, going further back to g1 i mean it's you know bumblebee was always like a fun character but i mean certainly not on anyone's mount rushmore but um well so i wanted to ask uh of of the autobots that we've been introduced to and now in in just the first 10 minutes and kind of for the majority of the show um optimus ratchet prowl bulkhead bumblebee um what is your kind of squint test i guess uh or for who these archetypes are, what do you expect out of them? And, and do you have a favorite? Yeah, all, all terrific questions. So um, I, I do, I do have thoughts about this, uh, this group of Autobots. I I do think it's a, it's an interesting, well-rounded team and it, it feels like, 
when the showrunners, the writers were coming up with this, it felt to me like they were building a superhero team. It's like, you know, you, you, you need, you need a, you know, you need like a scout, you need a brute, you need a, a, a mysterious hothead, you know, it's <laughs> like, you know, on and on and on, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, you start ticking certain archetypal boxes and it feels like this well-rounded cast fits fits those roles uh very well i like this version of optimus i like that he's youthful maybe a little naive but also capable and and we see that right away like like right off again this show doesn't waste anything it's like he's he's shown that he is um he's He's young, but he's capable, like in terms of like, you know, his his combat skills, his his uh, uh, proficiency with the melee weapon, with 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 his battle axe to the point where it even gets Ratchet's attention. He's like, wait a second. What what's your deal? And even Bumblebee throws out like this little line of world building. It's like, man, you should be you should be in the elite guard. And I'm like, elite guard. What the hell is that? Yes. Uh, you, you know, and it's just like that little bit of of world building is so cool. But um, I Ah, Optimus Prime is a really tough character to get absolutely right because there have been so many iterations, so so many different versions. And I I mean not to be a G1er about it, but I I still like the the G1 presentation of Peter Collins Optimus Prime where basically like he is a strong leader, but he's He's also kind of a goofy dad. Um, you know, yeah. he, he plays basketball and he makes mistakes and, you know, he makes errors in judgment. And yeah. so he and he's not infallible. So I I think that. But without being that sort of as you've kind of maybe said before, like that optimist that, um, yeah, makes mistakes, but is just so fucking sorrowful about it for so long like yeah. you've mentioned before that uh you know you don't really care for that take of optimus of like mm-hmm. i made one mistake and i'm fucking forever just uh, about it yeah um, i don't like maudlin optimus prime i right, i don't like right. self-loathing optimus prime and and conversely i don't like optimus prime that's a young dummy you know it's yeah. like 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 the the war for cybertron version he's a dummy and yeah. I mean, I I don't mind him going through trials and learning things, but but I don't want him to be a dum dum. And yeah. and TFA Optimus is not a dum dum. He's 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 young, and yep. I, I I love that take. You know, usually usually I don't because like I've always thought where like at a at a um, in a franchise that has Hot Rod and Rodimus Prime. Those are the characters that you can do that type of storytelling with, like the the reluctant leader, the the brash, young hotshot, pardon the phrase, um, that that learns maturity. And it's like that's that's all hot rod Rodimus stuff. Uh, keep that out of my Optimus Prime. But like um, I, I think a lot of it is David Kay's performance uh, as yeah. as voice actor. But but I, I'm I glad like, I like this Optimus. 
I'm glad you brought that up because I, I you know, I know we don't want to get into uh, maybe voice actors in this I know, I high know. level, but uh, I only relatively recently found out that David Kay was the voice of this Optimus, and. If you back in 2007, with if my the buddies that I was watching it with were any kind of Transformers fans, if one of them would have leaned over and said, "Hey, I think the voice of this Optimus is uh, Megatron from Beast Wars and Beast Machines and mm-hmm. Armada," I'd have been like, "You're effing nuts, dude! Like, there's no way those voices are the same." Um, and it is. It's it's this. They took a diabolical, uh, iconic voice actor and then made him the hero of this series i think that's incredible and it speaks a lot to his chops as a voice actor i i don't know what he's doing to young it up but it's like he he sounds oh yeah and it's yeah and and it it is the the polar opposite of like the the grim gravitas that it that is beast wars megatron and yeah it's so interesting and i wonder and i just kind of wonder the foresight that someone had to have to be like this is our most iconic villain voice let's see what he can do with the hero like incredible incredible and and he's still now the only actor who has played both roles that has been both Optimus Prime and Megatron, which I, I think is 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 really fascinating. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, so okay, back to my uh question. Yep. You know, yep. do you do you have a do you have a favorite? Anything standing out from this crew so far? Uh my favorite is Ratchet. I I yeah. am I am a sucker for a grizzled old grump. Like you know, I, I've been watching Transformers the movie for the last 36 years. And um, even as a kid, I kind of gravitated to Cup because, um, you know, he's 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 very grandfatherly, but also grouchy. He's got like these cool stories that may or may not actually be cool. Um, and I see a lot of that in in Ratchet, but being kind of like a a grouchy older person myself i kind of gravitate to those characters but i understand now in a way that i haven't um because like younger fans have really latched onto ratchet in a way that i i've never really understood it's like uh i go to to tf cons and i see no shortage of ratchet cosplayers and i'm just like what is it about ratchet that that that's that resonates with people. And I think starting with this characterization in TFA and even some of it from, from the 2007 movie as well, I think there's a little bit of spillover, but like this is, this is kind of evergreen ratchet. This is what I hoped or like Mandela affected what G1 ratchet is like G1 ratchet doesn't really have a whole lot of personality. It's like his, his voice acting is, is, vaguely grumpy but it's really just kind of like he's just like the doctor guy yeah i i like a ratchet that's bones mccoy from from star trek yes you know that's yeah and 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 this this version of ratchet to the point where it's like you know are you gonna come on this adventure ratchet yeah no somebody needs to stay here and do analysis and and he does it like someone's gotta analyze this thing besides who needs a bot with one servo in the scrap heap not gonna let that one go, are you? No. You know, very, very dismissively, and he's very grouchy. Even like when they scan their new forms, it's like, oh, hey, this is so great. Ooh, it's roomy. Oh, this is fast. And and uh, Ranch <laughs> is like, yeah, this'll do. 
I, I got a soft spot for a grump and, and, uh, and I think my, my younger friends in the fandom do as well. So if I, if I had to pick a, a favorite now, I would go with ratchet on the flip side of it. If we're going least favorites. Now we saw a lot of character growth within transform and roll out. Now but, here's a very ratchet take on it, right? What's, what's yeah. my least favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. Don't yeah. I enjoy what uh, a note that I wrote uh, in in my seven page notebook here, <laughs> all caps. Prowl is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I saw a couple of folks picked up on that on. Twitter. Yeah, I saw yeah. that in your <laughs> screenshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prowl is a dick. I mean, he's 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 aloof. He's not a team player. And I, I you know, jumping ahead to the end of the episode, I I think he learned some lessons, uh, an especially potent one, um, yeah. uh, uh, towards the end. There, you know, it's like he he gets it. But I think even even going forward, I think there's still going to be some of that elusiveness. Yeah. I don't I, I I feel very conflicted because like. I think you, being, being a G.I. Joe fan, I, I understand the value of having a elusive, mysterious um, ninja on on your team i'm i'm a huge snake eyes fan he he yeah. is he is one of my very favorite characters and this version of prowl feels like he's trying to be discount snake eyes now the mm. thing the thing about snake eyes though is he is loyal to his friends to to a fault yeah. whereas prowl he's He's a hot-headed ninja that you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's got the skills. Yeah. It's like you, you, you just got to know the weak point. But it, he, he's, he's got some lessons to learn, and I'm hoping, in terms of like hopes and dreams, that he continues to learn and continues to grow. But taking like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I like that he's a motorcycle. You know, so I, I like I, you know, motorcycle says ninja to me, I guess, because you know, just in terms of like agility, speed, um, sure. stealth, things like that. I mean, that that kind of plays. Um, I like his character model that you know, kind of like he's a, a highway patrol style motorcycle cop. That that's kind of neat, but um, I don't know, man. Th th this is one that you 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 were asking about. Um, archetypes mm -hmm. optimus prime feels like optimus prime ratchet feels like ratchet bumblebee feels like bumblebee bulkhead brand new character so so can't say that prowl is the one that doesn't quite fit for me which yeah. i think though fans of the idw comics would be like what are you talking about prowl is a dick <laughs> it's, it's a straight up yeah trope. it's right. like yeah but that 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 wasn't always that way. Like I, I grew up with, with Prowl being, you know, kind of like kind of a, a stoic, you know, like a stoic military tactician, mm -hmm. but not necessarily aloof. Where, whereas sure. TFA Prowl is aloof. He, he doesn't want to be with these people. He, yeah. he, he only has, uh, there's only one bot that he can rely on me. We're a team, remember? And we need to know we can depend on each other. Only one bot I depend on, me. Yeah. You know, and and so that that doesn't scream prowl to me. So so in terms of like things that are that don't pass the squint test, it, it's it it's it's prowl for me. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you say that prowl uh, is such a fascinating character. Um, and without getting too far ahead and giving too much away, uh, 
he is one of the main reasons he's interesting is because in a show that is like we've said is for kids and you need to establish these archetypes uh, and character, you know, builds right away. Uh, something happens even at the end of this, of this mini movie, this little arc that we're mm-hmm. in that changes him for the rest of the series. It yeah. was a really bold move to say, let's, you know, here's these established archetypes. We're changing one of them. Um, I think that's something that's really cool. And, but it always lingers that, that sort of arrogance and aloofness that you're talking about that isn't completely course corrected in him. That's not right. something that goes away. And now he's this new transformed individual. That's something he has a demon. He has to deal with throughout the series. Um, that's just sort of lingering there. I think yeah. that's just way beyond what you need to do with a character at this, <laughs> you know, at a transformers reboot airing on cartoon network. Exactly. And, and, but and they went for it. And, and there's a depth and richness. I, 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 like that he's a dick i mean i mean don't don't get me wrong like even though it doesn't necessarily pass my squint test i'm coming to this looking for something different so when i'm looking for something different i i'm i'm definitely getting um definitely getting what uh, uh what i'm looking for there so um so so let's flip the the faction symbol to the other side and and run through some of these bad guys yeah 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 so we we do see them in uh uh, kind of a shadowy uh, interior uh, Decepticon ship scene, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've I've kind of been back and forth about this because I forgot that this scene even happened. Oh. So as I was watching, you know, as I go back and rewatch the show, it was like fun seeing these villains pop up. I totally forgot that they show you all the Decepticons you're going to see throughout season one uh, in this moment. Um but yeah, I mean, the, the a couple notable ones that they do mention, and this, again, we're going backwards, but this is all in the first 10 minutes still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they mention Blitzwing by name, and mm-hmm. they mention Black Arachnia by name. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very cool and very smart because it gives you a couple character, like little um, breadcrumbs to follow, little tidbits, a little tantalize, uh, you know, there. But you get, you get Blitzwing. It's a it's a G one name that we know and love. Um, boom, there it is. And then Black Arachnia. It shows that something from Beast Wars is not yeah. off the table. Something from other borrowing from other lore and factions is not uh, off the table. And I think that's a theme that we see throughout this show. That that we're going to take from everything you know about Transformers, not just G one. And and that's the thing that my friends keep telling me over and over. It's like, you have to watch this. This is for you. Um, so I, I do want to talk about this uh uh this this roll call scene pretty extensively. Because yeah. like it's I, I think the reason why you get a scene like this is because you don't get to see any of these other people. I mean, aside from Starscream, but you you don't see the trio of uh, uh, Blitzwing, Black Arachnia, and Lugnut ever again. Like for me, this is my only time interacting with these characters, and I love the setting. I, I love the uh, uh, the shadows and all that, but it does feel very roll call to me. Like like okay, well let's let's meet all of these characters in a very short economical. Uh, uh, time to where it's like everybody gets a moment, but it also kind of feels like 
not that it's manufactured that that's that that's not the right term i'm looking for and 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 forced isn't the the term i'm looking for either but it just it really feels like we're trying to do a lot of groundwork very quickly and it does it very effectively it's a great scene i seriously doubt we'll find this all spark aboard such an insignificant vessel Megatron is wise! Megatron is bold! Megatron will return the Decepticons to Cybertron! And, and wipe our homeland clean of the stench of Autobot tyranny, bloody blah blah blah. Did you memorize that speech, Lugnut? Or is it just hardwired into that thick one-track processor of yours? As usual, Black Arachnia, your demeanor is as unpleasant as that accursed organic mode of yours. Blow it at your actuator, Three-Face. The name is Blitzwing, Insect. Remember it, because it's the last thing you're going to hear before I express my feelings in song. The itsy bitsy spider crawl. You are battling out here and now, Blitzwing. Just keep it down. You're the world of you know, you get uh, Lugnut being like, well, hey, you know, why, why, you know, Megatron is strong. You know, Megatron is the best. And and so you learn a little bit about Lugnut that, you know, he's he's almost kind of like the uh, G1 cartoon shockwave type of thing. Like the, the, the vibe I get from Lugnut is that he is fiercely loyal to Megatron to the point where he has these things. I I don't know the extent of Lugnut's vocabulary. It feels like it's very limited mm-hmm. to the point where Black Arachnia says like, okay, not this speech again. You've practiced it, blah, 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 blah. Which of course you learn, you know, about Black Arachnia, that she's, that she's sassy, that she doesn't take a lot of shit. She's impatient. And, and that they've all been hanging out with each other maybe a little too long in this shuttle. These people are sick of each other. Yeah. Um, so even like when when Blitzwing shows up and I mean, how is it that that Blitzwing is a concept that goes back to G1, but we're just now getting a a, um, a German sounding uh, voice actor in there. I, I love Blitzwing's yeah. voice. It's perfect. It's perfect. And I love that this this is so fucking cool. I I I get the feeling that Blitzwing is really gonna resonate with me because I I love the idea of a triple changer having multiple personalities. Oh so smart. I, I mean that is I so mean, smart. How how come nobody thought of that before? You know it's like and I feel like each personality goes with each alt mode, you yeah. know, and, and like, and even like the, the gimmick of like the flipping faces and like the, the voice changes a little bit each time. I, I love it. I, I, again, I, I get the feeling I'm really going to like Blitzwing because like, even like in this just little bit, I, I, I like the design aesthetic. I, I like that it, um, it evokes G1, the G1 design. I mean, clearly you, you see both tank and plane bits hanging off of him. So yeah, you, you know, he was such retains. a cool design. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's, it, it's great. Um, But yeah, you just, you just get like that little bit of like, you know, you think that like when he flips to like the, the angry devil face that he's going to, you know, be like super mean spirited, but 
but then he busts out into song and stuff. It's like, oh no, yeah. th- that that's his Joker face. Yeah, I was gonna say that's just the uh, want to see the world burn face. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. Which is scary in a different way. I I love it. I, yeah. I love it. It's unhinged, and cool. and yeah, this. Um, I mean, we we spend a lot of time with this version of Starscream, in uh and in, in this pilot here, and right away leaves an impression i mean what one in the in the vocal delivery but then just like his design aesthetic his his machinations it it all just in terms of like passing the squint test this is starscream through and through and even for me spending this little amount of time with him already rocketing up the charts for favorite starscream i mean yeah he's he's capable He's, you know, not only is, is he cunning, but he's capable and he succeeds. And I, 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 you don't see that in a G1 star scream, you know, he, 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 he fucks off to, you know, uh, to abandon islands, to, to make combaticons that comes to nothing you know he you know <laughs> right. he, he teams up with dr arkaville to like you know he's always trying to like scheme and but nothing ever works for him and really for for g1 starscream his his one moment of success gets cut short in a in a bit of bad comedy so yeah um all- and here we see uh in the first 10 minutes, I know I keep saying that, but it's yeah, crazy yeah. how much happens in the first 10 minutes. We see uh, his scheme working, his yeah. his biggest scheme. He he does dig that knife in. He, you know, he is the Judas to Megatron. And, and even uh, jumping to the end of the episode where like Starscream catches up with the, the Autobots on Earth and, and uh, plots successfully to get the Allspark, he, he like has so much contempt for the Autobots. He's like, you think you defeated Megatron? Yeah. It was me. <laughs> yeah. It was me, yeah. you dummies. <laughs> what an exciting moment and and again what what a complete Starscream performance I mean I I I I'm sure we will talk at greater greater length about it but it's like right away just from the voice and again it's it's not an impression it's something new but it's yeah. but it, it's still the same it's like I mean it's I mean I mean chef kiss French yeah. kiss. French, French kiss. kiss. <laughs> uh, so this, good. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because uh, this is the only other kind of voice actor I wanted to talk about early mm. on um, because it kind of blew my mind this morning in researching um, that that uh, this is. I mean, when I when I first heard the Starscream, I, it it evoked like the original Starscream vibes for me. It it was very like Chris Lada esque. Yeah, and then. And then to come to find out it's the guy that voiced SpongeBob, like that's unbelievable. Tom, uh, if we're talking great voice actors, Tom Kenny. Wow. Wow. Did not know that, you know, you could channel that level of it's, it is, it's both a throwback to the original Starscream voice and it's this kind of new and creepy and terrifying uh, villain uh, all from that, you know, this beloved voice actor we've known from such sillier characters. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and genuine menace. He, yeah. he, this Starscream is a credible threat by himself. 
I mean, cause think about it. He takes on this entire team of Autobots, which we know is basically a superhero team. He takes them all on his own and defeats them. Yeah. By himself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, I don't, I don't know if I've seen a star scream this powerful and this capable with, yeah, without being like successful. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, and I think too, um, while we're on this and while we're talking about how kind of seeing the silhouettes of the Decepticons, we should, we should really talk, take a moment to talk about Derek J. Wyatt's designs uh, in this series, the, the, the artwork for these characters, the character builds themselves, Mm -hmm. very unique. Um, And, and now we've kind of come to know it as like classic Derek J. Wyatt, rest in peace. One of my all time favorite uh, artists, Uh, but it is a very cool. It is a very interesting take. Um, And you, you kind of alluded to maybe this is something that maybe turned you off about the series originally. And I think I was in that zone of like, uh, you know, spit in the face of G1. Let's see something totally different. And I actually yeah. took to this series more because it was so different than the original. But uh, yeah, I think I think we have some really interesting um, character designs. We have little guys, big guys. That's the other thing I wanted to get into too. Is yeah. that this Megatron is huge? Like, there's a there's a scale system here where like you have like huge characters and tall characters, small characters, and then you have. Uh, maybe the biggest Megatron looming over everyone. Yeah. Like, this is, I, I'd love to see a scale chart of like Megatrons through the ages, but I feel like this one, uh, this version of Megatron is maybe like the biggest of, of all. Yeah. Between him and uh 2007 live action movie, you know, it's like that. Yeah. Because that, that iteration is also shown to be significantly larger than, than the other transformers. Yeah. Well, and, and bigger than Optimus, which is kind of, I mean, I know that something that came out of the movie too, but like, that's that's always kind of been a fascinating take on Megatron that he's, you know, you usually need to have this uh, the the hero and the villain need to just have that, you know, classic iconic, you know, they punch in there like they're like the same silhouette outline almost. Yeah, uh, yeah. this they totally went with something different. They went mm-hmm. with a, kind of a creepy, spooky uh, Megatron design. But I guess along with that, are you are you now as we watch this, are you sort of seeing the 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 genius for me of the designs is it still kind of jarring for you where are you where are you at um a short answer is yes i mean i i i like it i i do like it i i under i i can still be that that uh 22 year old kid that didn't like it then and decided it wasn't for me but um but i i can appreciate it now it is a little jarring at first um, because, because it is so stylized, but I think it's one of those things Because like, I, I sat down and watched, uh, transform and, and roll out all in one sitting. I think as with anything else, whether it's, um, watching movies in 3d or in high frame rate or some other type of like viewing experience there, there, there's a certain itchiness that that comes with it at first but once you acclimate and get used to it you stop seeing it so and i think that's that's um true of any of vintage media like uh like there there are folks that are going back and watching beast wars and those graphics are rough 
And, you know, so it's, it's, it, it's hard to sit through, but I think it's one of those things that like, once you get used to it and get engrossed by the story, you don't see it anymore. And, and that was my experience. It's like, I didn't, I, I found myself not really noticing the, um, the difference in stylization, um, as much the longer I watched it. Now, there would be other times that it it would uh, smack me in the face, like, you know, you get that establishing shot of Detroit, how it looks, you know, so so there are like establishing shots that, you know, I I I, I really dig and enjoy the design, but um, the overall aesthetic I like, um, I, I will still say and and you'll have to check back with me when we get to the end of this project um how much it resonates with me because still for me and i i i i am reluctant and maybe a little sad to say it's it's still not my cup of tea it, it is it is still a style that's maybe still a little too exaggerated for my taste i see why people like it and i'm fully engrossed in the story um, because I mean, I, I'm really picking up on, on what, what's being put down here, but from like a animation aesthetic, I, I'm not necessarily going to start commissioning artists to do my favorite characters in a Derek, Derek J. Wyatt style. Like, like I have friends that, that have like pieces of Derek's art and things like that. Um, for me, it's, it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, one thing I can say similar to that when I first saw this show, I was like, oh, these designs are really fucking cool. Mm -hmm. They're never going to have toys for these. Um, This is this is maybe a toy line that came out and someone took an artistic depiction of them. These aren't going to be toys. Um, And but they were, I guess, if I can take a second to talk about that, the toy line from this show is phenomenal. Uh, The vehicles look like the vehicle modes and the robots look like the cartoon versions of these robots and it's it's a feat of engineering i mean we talk about transformers toys as a feat of engineering just in general mm-hmm. these are a feat of engineering of a feat of engineering the fact that they were <laughs> able to look like the cartoon car and like the cartoon robot very stylized in both forms and actually functionally transform between the two modes mm-hmm. i never thought we'd see that when i first saw this show And that is where we're going to leave things for today. That is going to wrap it up for our inaugural episode of Two Mics, Two Furious. We knew the discussion about the beginning of Transformers Animated was going to be a lengthy discussion, to say the least. But we also didn't want to scare away any uh, potential new listeners by posting like a four-hour mega episode. But this felt like as good a stopping point for a great cliffhanger ending. Now, our next episode is going to be out in two weeks. And now that we've talked about the characters and the overall setup for the world of Transformers Animated, we can really get into the meat of the discussion proper about the pilot movie transform and roll out exclamation point uh, that episode will run about as long as this one maybe a titch longer but we're really looking to keep these episodes under two hours uh, at least to start 
Uh, thank you for hanging out with us. And if you would like to check out my other podcast, Mike Seibert Radio, you can find it everywhere. You're listening to Two Mikes Too Furious. You can also find me on social media at Mike Seibert Radio. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the spelling on my last name is S E I B E. RT. Michael Andrews has written a few books that are available now on Amazon. The Coming of Mage Saga. It's a duology consisting of Coming of Mage and its sequel, A War for the Mages, as well as his latest book, Gone for a Spell. You can connect with him out on socials. He's at Michael Andrews on Twitter, spelled M-I-K-E-L. So it's not just me that you have to learn special spelling for. We're, we're equal opportunity spellers. Now, if you would like to connect with the show directly, there are a few ways you can do so. We are at Two Mikes, the number two, Two Furious, also the number two, on social media. Uh, the show is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Two Mikes, Two Furious. Want to be a guest on the show? You can send us an email Two mics, two furious at gmail.com. If there's a particular episode of Transformers Animated that you want to join us to talk about, don't wait for us to ask. Call your shots early. And if you would like to hear your voice on the air, send us a voicemail 231 224 Mike. That phone number again is 231 224 64 five three one more time that's two three one two two four six four five three we will play your voicemails on the air and we'd really like to hear from you so please drop us a line with your questions comments criticisms whatever you would like to say to us the mike's community goes beyond just me and michael andrews we want to make this as inclusive a place as possible so we would love to hear from you and we'll talk about that more in our next episode but that's going to close it out for now for my co-host michael andrews my name is mike cybert we are two mics too furious and until next time make good choices we'll be right back.